So, I invite you to join me in Exodus chapter 20. We are all the way up to verse 16. We've been spending time working through the Ten Commandments. There are, there are two commandments left. So just to kind of uh, reorient you on where we are and where we're going uh, in our time with, uh, through the Ten Commandments, again, two commandments left, and then we will have two, uh, two sermons uh, to, to further prep us for this transition into the building. And then on July 11th, when we enter into the building, we will begin our next sermon series in the Gospel according to John. I can't wait uh, and want to encourage you to be praying about that time. But I'm also thankful for the time that we have now. And so today we come to the ninth commandment. As we've been doing, we have uh, a bit of a, an outline that will be consistent again today. As we look to the worldview uh, set by the Lord that is behind the ninth commandment, we'll look to the particulars of this commandment and then we'll explore the deeper issues of the heart. With that before us, we turn now to the inerrant and infallible Word of God. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the Word of the Lord. Amen. What is truth? It's one of those questions that, uh, that has a postmodern ring to it. It's not as what is the truth, but what is truth itself. It's the, it's the type of question that we might uh, think of some sort of intellectual asking to stimulate interesting conversation. It might be the sort of question that someone would ask with an edge to the question, sort of challenging it might be the kind of question that you are asking today. What is truth? Do you know who else asked that question? Pilate. Pilate was the, the Roman governor uh, who ultimately was the one who sentenced Jesus to death. And standing there with Jesus talking with Jesus, I imagine a scene in front of the, the crowd, and, and Jesus was, was speaking to, uh, to Pilate, and he said, I have come to bear witness to the truth, and all those who are of the truth hear my voice. Pilate heard that, and somewhat wistfully looking off into the distance, asked this question, what is truth? It is a question that is the foundation behind the ninth commandment. It's a question that we're asking today, and it is not new. And neither is the battle that exists between truth and lies. You and I, we're, we're all impacted by this battle, but we're also caught up in it. So as we look to the ninth commandment, uh, we need to, on one hand, deal with the worldly perspective behind truth and lies. 
a perspective that, uh, that we wrestle with because it's hard these days to know what is truth and lie, particularly when everyone around us is defining truth in their own way. And when we do this, we destroy the very foundation of truth. So on one hand, we need to deal with a worldly perspective behind truth, but on the other hand, we need to deal with our own temptation to stretch the truth in order to serve our own purposes, for our own advantage, for our own justification. Now, as we do so, as we, as we deal with this question of truth and lies, what's at stake? Well, everything. <laughs> our, our, our very orientation our ability to navigate life and faith. Uh, let me illustrate for you again from our time last week. So after worship last Sunday, our family was in Asheville, North Carolina, and we decided to go visit a, a place called Max Patch. I don't know if you've ever heard of Max Patch. I had not until my kids went off to college and Apparently, it's a bit of a pilgrimage for Auburn students. But it's a bald bluff that is about, oh, an hour northwest of Asheville, out in the middle of seemingly nowhere, uh, mountain ranges. It's not an exit on the interstate. (laughs) So as we made our way to Max Patch, we were deeply dependent upon the phone GPS system. (laughs) We got there, and... Uh, and, and then when we got to the little parking area before this, uh, this system of trails would take us up, we get to, the, we get to the, the, the map board. And really, when you get there, all you see is a bunch of lines on a, on a, on a big board, and you, they're not all that helpful until you get to that one all-important dot. You are here. Is that dot on the map, that one fixed point. And when you have that one fixed point, well then those lines all of a sudden become useful. Because you have to know where you are and where you're starting. So we found the fixed point so we could navigate our way up the top of Max Patch. And when you get up to the top there, you, you look around and, 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 and just God's creation is on display for you in every direction. All you see everywhere is mountain range after mountain range. You see no roads, which is part of the beauty of it. And we were standing on top of the, the mountain range up there and, and, and one of the kids said, hey, where's Asheville? Well, I'm not that great with directions. <laughs> and so what did I do? I looked up. Because I had to find the sun. I had to find that one fixed reference point. Because without it, I had no idea where we were. Friends, the one fixed reference point in our lives is truth. And when we lose truth, we lose direction. With no fixed point of truth, we wonder after our own way. We wonder without regard for others. But the Word of God speaks into this confusion. 
The Bible actually says a lot about truth. Truth is a big deal in the Scriptures, and truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. It is fixed. Because truth is not a nebulous concept. Truth is a person. The Lord, our God, is the source of all truth. And because this is true, you and I can find our way. Let me give you a homework assignment. When you go home this afternoon, look in the back of your Bible. The concordance. It's essentially an index. Go home this afternoon, look in the concordance at the word true and the word truth. Just follow the path it takes you. Walk through Scripture and see what the Bible has to say about truth and the word true. What you'll find in John 3.33 and Romans 3.4 that God is true. Not God exists. Not it's true God exists. No, no. God is true. God is truth. In John 14, 6, you will see that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And you'll see in John 16, 31, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Do you hear this? Our triune God is true. Our triune God is truth manifested. And in God, we find our you are here stamp. Truth matters because God is true. That's the foundation behind the ninth commandment, and that tells us that because God is true, words matter. Words are meant to convey truth. It's the basis behind the ninth commandment, but what are the particulars? Sometimes with the Ten Commandments, we have this uh, temptation to summarize them into short, bite-sized snippets. In fact, you've heard me say on a couple of occasions that some of these commandments in the Hebrew were only two words. By the way, the Ninth Commandment is not two words in the Hebrew. But when we are tempted to summarize the Ninth Commandment as two words, what do we do? We summarize it as no lying. And that's certainly a part of the Ninth Commandment, but it is not the full extent of the Ninth Commandment. There's more involved. When I read this verse, what did you hear? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It tells us that there is a setting for this commandment. It's a judicial setting, a legal setting, a courtroom setting. The Bible speaks of bearing false witness. It's talking about a courtroom setting where we might witness against our neighbor. Look, we've said that the truth is a big deal because God is true. Truth is a reflection of His character, but justice is also a big deal because God is just. And no, I'm not talking about social justice. I'm talking about legal, forensic justice. It's the heart of God. 
the heart of the gospel, excuse me, in terms of our legal forensic standing before God. The gospel speaks to our place before Him in that courtroom setting. But much as the Bible speaks about truth, it speaks about justice, our place of justice before God, but also the justice, the legal justice that exists between people. Our standing before one another. Think about it this way. Think about our legal system today. In a courtroom today, we have DNA testing. We have forensic science. We have audio and visual recordings, all as valid forms of evidence. But in the Old Testament, they had eyewitnesses. Those eyewitnesses spoke in the court of law, and people's lives and reputations were at stake. So the witness had to be trustworthy. People's lives and reputations depended on it, and that is the backdrop for the ninth commandment. The judicial setting. So that's the, the setting, the setting we, as we've been through the Ten Commandments. We, we've used the Westminster Confession of Faith as a bit of a framework for the way we look at these commandments, and we've explored what is, what's forbidden and what's required. So what's forbidden in the ninth commandment? Well, again, the confession summarizes that anything that puts truth at risk or is injurious, injures, our own reputation or that of another. So the ninth commandment forbids lying. Lying is injurious to the truth. No lying is a part of the ninth commandment. And I hope we understand that. That seems obvious to us, but feel the weight of it. We think in terms of little white lies, but understand that God in His, in His sovereign wisdom has summarized the entirety of the moral law into ten commandments. Those ten commandments are pretty important, aren't they? And in that summary of all moral law, God forbids lying. He doesn't take lying or truth lightly. Feel the weight of that. But also understand that that lying also uh, is spoken in relation to another person. Lying, speaking about their name which means the ninth commandment also includes or forbids slander. Another way of thinking about that is the ninth commandment forbids gossip. You know, sometimes gossip is a slanderous lie. But sometimes gossip is a slanderous truth. You think about that? A slanderous truth is... Is a truth that doesn't need to be spoken publicly about someone else because it is spoken for the purpose of harming another. How do we do this? Well, we, you know, we, we say, I'm just telling the truth. But do we need to tell the truth? 
Do we need to speak out in relation to another person's name and reputation? I hope you hear this. I hope you've heard it all the way through the Ten Commandments because I promise you I've been dealing with it in my own heart. These commandments and this one is not a warning for other people. It's for us. Because everyone here deals with this struggle with slander and gossip and lies and truth. That's what's forbidden. What's required? Well, what's required is promoting the truth between one another and the preserving of one another's good name. So in a world that seeks to erode the very foundation of truth by either denying the the existence of truth or parsing it out in, in bits and pieces so as to manipulate it and make it serve our own purposes, the ninth commandment calls us to promote truth. That is to speak it and to stand for it. The truth and the whole truth. So it means we use our words wisely. But it also means that we use our words lovingly to build up. The ninth commandment speaks to sins of the tongue, which means that the requirement, the positive, is that we love one another. Ultimately, the ninth commandment is about that. Ultimately, the ninth commandment is about loving our neighbor. So since we're talking about truth and lies, can we just acknowledge a lie that probably all of us have said and, and all of us have used before our children? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> when I was a kid, I broke an arm. <laughs> And in a matter of a few weeks, that arm was healed. I'm still shaped by the words that were spoken. To me, as a youth, and words that I spoke as a youth, and as an adult, words do hurt. Words do have power. Words are a way to love. Slander. It sticks long after a broken bone is healed. You know it because of what others have said to you or about you. But do you know it because of what you've said to others? There's more than one way for falsehoods to hurt. They hurt when we abuse the truth, when we twist the truth, when we just flat out lie to others. Those words hurt. When we abuse truth, we hurt others. But the damage doesn't merely take place when we abuse truth. When we lose truth, we actually lose others. You should think about that for a minute. When we lose truth, we we lose others. We do that because when we lose truth, we actually break apart the bonds that hold us together. We're experiencing this struggle now in our world in unique ways. How do we lose truth? We, we lose truth when we define it on our own terms. 
We lose truth when we define it not according to the unchanging Word of God, but according to our own imagination, our own desire, our own thinking. And there's a deep relational divide that exists when we relativize truth. When we relativize truth, what happens? We wind up drawing near to ourselves those who agree with us and we push away others who do not. But our God, our God who is true, our God is a reconciling God. He is the author of truth and He unites His people in Christ. It is why the church is such a beautiful outworking of the gospel. The church, not a building as we keep saying, but the body of Christ. It is a Christ-centered, truth-centered unity. So when personal versions of the truth or our slanderous falsehoods divide us, do you know who wins? The devil. I've already taken you through uh, examples in Scripture of, uh, of, of how the Word of God describes God Himself as true. And, and interestingly, uh, truth is a, con- is, a, is a major concept, major focus in the Gospel of John. You heard that in the verses I said. If you do your homework assignment, you'll find that out too. But the Word says that God is true. But you know what the Word says about the devil? He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's a thief. He's the father of lies. He has been a liar from the beginning. When he speaks, he speaks out of his own character. When we are divided over our abuse of the truth or our losing of the truth, the devil is the one who wins. Sometimes these lies are deliberate falsehoods. Sometimes they are relativized versions of the truth. But either way, they destroy truth and they bring division. So what are we? What are we as believers to do when when we encounter the the truth disconnect that, that most certainly will come? Well, first of all, don't be surprised. It's part of our understanding. We need to know who God is and we need to know who man is. Man including my own heart. We're sinners. By nature, prior to conversion. And after conversion, we still wrestle with that lingering old man. And when we know that, it protects us from being surprised and caught off guard when we encounter uh, falsehoods. Don't be surprised. So when we're not surprised, it gives us ability to engage thoughtfully. And we can engage thoughtfully by holding together hand in hand truth and love. That's how we respond to falsehoods. Truth and love. But to lovingly remain committed to truth, that is to not use truth as a blunt force object to beat people over the head with, but to, but to lovingly speak that truth, to draw together and unite. 
To do that, to lovingly remain committed to truth, requires more than mere self-will and determination. It requires that our identity is secure in Jesus Christ. Now those words sound easy, but they are a hard reality. And so maybe to understand them, we need to deal with the face of our insecurity. What do we do when we're not secure in our identity? We twist truth to make ourselves look good. We turn on those closest to us when we encounter one another, and that's called gossip. All of us are guilty. Because more than truth, we desire to be relevant to one another. We utter falsehoods in order to tear others down and build ourselves up. It's the heart of the matter. When we lose our navigational awareness, when we lose our centering on the truth of God, it shows up in relationship to truth and to others. We find it on our own terms. We twist it, we manipulate it, we deny it. But the ninth commandment is a judicial setting. And in the courtroom of the ninth commandment, Every person in this room is guilty of perjury. We've injured others to build self up. At times it takes the form of abuse, neglect, or erosion of truth. And so you and I, we stand before a just God guilty and condemned. Earlier, we said that the gospel is about our legal standing before God. So therefore, we have a problem. But hear this. Jesus is truth incarnate. And He has come to do the opposite of us. We tear others down so that we might build self up and we do it all through falsehoods. But He is truth. And He tore Himself down by taking our falsehood on Himself so that He could build others up and those others are us. Lost in our insecurity and sin, we've got to recapture a fixed point. And so we go back to the character of God. He is true. Jesus is not like us as fickle children, fickle teenagers, and fickle adults. He does not turn on His people and talk about them. He is steadfast to the end. Sinners, sinners like me, let us remember, Jesus is our fixed point. Jesus is the way the way of salvation. Jesus is the truth. The truth incarnate. And Jesus is the life. The source and substance of life for all His children. And so let us cling to Him in truth. And let us find life in His name. Lord God, we praise You that Your Word is true. And we ask that You would bless us in the knowledge of truth. Truth incarnate. Grow us in Christ's likeness as You bring healing through Your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.